Hello, friends, and good morning. My name is Jake, and I'm a pastor here at Resonate. I want to thank you all for joining us, wherever you may be and whenever you are going to be here. Uh, I have been in personally in Tiger for the last few Sundays, and so I've not been able to be with you online or even with you in gatherings. So I do miss you all, and I hope that you are well wherever you are. I know this is a difficult season for, for many of us, and much more difficult for those who experience aloneness, depression, or anxiety. Please know that our hearts are with you and that we are praying for you. If you need someone to talk to, if you need prayer, go to our website and fill out the connection card on that screen and message us. We do want to hear from you. We do want to know where you're at. If you have access to a piece of bread and some juice or wine, I want to, you to go and prepare communion for yourself now. At the end of my speaking time, we're going to take communion together. I have an introduction, so as Kevin says, turn your volume up loud and move around a bit and go get the elements, which is the bread and the juice or wine, so that we can participate in that together. This is something that we are going to ask you to do every Sunday, so if you want to prepare that before we begin, that is even better. Every week at Resonate, we light this candle here. What this candle symbolizes is the presence of Christ within our midst. The early church, they would light candles to, to have a vision of Christ. When a flame is lit, you look at that candle. It draws your attention just like Christ should draw ours. Before we begin, I want to remind you of our mission statement as a community and as a church. We are a community that loves like Jesus. We know that loving like Jesus can be strengthened and expressed more deeply if we had these values within our community, which is daily devotion, prayer, freedom from strongholds, serving the community, sacrificial generosity, sharing and knowing our stories, and celebration. A couple of announcements that I want to make that are coming up this week and also this month is today at 3 p.m. at Vinesboro at our church location, we are going to have the class Understanding White Privilege. This is part two of, I think, a three-part series that Pastor Becky, Sherea, and Beth are putting on for us. And so if you want more information about that, go on to our website and our text or email, uh, Becky. Also, Ladies' Wine Night is this Friday at 6.30. Bring a mask, bring your own bottle to share for yourself. That's different. But one bottle and also a snack to share as well. Uh, more information with us on our website, social media, contact Becky. Yes. Home PDX is still going strong, and uh, we are Pastor Bruce's last remaining food team. He used to have nine, and now he has down to one that's feeding his friends without home downtown. It's crucial that we keep this going and doing it very well. So I want to say thank you to John Anderberg for keeping that ministry alive and healthy during this season of extreme uncertainty, especially for our friends without homes. A couple more thank yous that I want to throw out there. Uh, thanks to Adam Wise, who's in the back right now. He's been tackling the issue of online streaming for the entire pandemic season. Every week he's here and present and running our live stream so that you can connect with us wherever you are this morning or this week. Thank you to Shreya, Beth, and Becky for leading a selection of Resonate people through the, the concept of systemic racism and white privilege. I know those are hard topics, 
And especially during this season, it's important that we understand what those things mean as those words are being tossed around a lot. Also, thank you to Rob Thompson, who is our children's ministry puppet master. If you have not seen that at all, um, contact Beth and she can show you what he's doing. It is, it is pretty awesome. And Matt Miller, also thank you for all of the time you spend uh, preparing our worship on Sunday, gathering teams, and, and making sure that we have, we have those normal elements to our service still, even through this time. And finally, I want to say thank you to, to Kevin. As I sit here in front of the camera with no audience, he has to adapt and change and the way he did ministry so that we can all make it through this pandemic together. We are following the governor's mandates and all recommendations for gathering size, distancing, and mask wearing. We do have a 25-person gathering time on Sunday mornings. Contact us if you want to cycle in on that roster. We're planning to do an outdoor church gathering soon. I'm calling it Church Alfresco. I'm not sure what anyone else is calling it yet, but that's what it's going to be for now. So if you've been following along with us, we've been going through James the last few weeks. Kevin's done a great job driving home that James is for our world today. I encourage you to go back and watch or listen to those sermons. I've heard personal stories from you about how impactful that these have been as you walk into really hard meetings, as you have work or staff crises, or you feel like you're going through it with this pandemic, politics, or even the social conflict that you're in. I find James to be a, a very relevant book for today. A little background to get us started. James and who wrote it, I, I usually take a pretty traditional view. James says that he is the brother of Jesus. Later scholars uh, believe this to be the actual blood relative of Jesus and was the first bishop of Jerusalem. At the time of his writing, before the destruction of the temple of, and in Jerusalem at 72 AD, there's this great turmoil and despair within the church. If you go back and read Acts or a lot of Paul's writings, he's writing to the church in Jerusalem. He's raising money for them to support them. There's great turmoil in the church. It's been over 30 years since Jesus ascended, and they're tired of waiting for him to come back. The Roman Empire is squeezing every penny out of them that they possibly can. They were an occupied people by a group of individuals that could care less about their Jewish laws and customs. In under a decade, their entire life would be destroyed and they would be completely scattered all over the world. And no established nation of Israel would exist until after World War II. When James talks about wealth, know that to be wealthy in this time period was to work directly with the Roman Empire. That means that you're a tax collector, a politician, a debtor, or a traveling merchant. These are the people that got rich during this time. The rest of the population lived at or below the breadline. And so riot and strife were commonplace. Lots of people died during this time. Basically, the entire book of James is about sowing seeds, sowing good seeds into people's lives. So the initial question that I have for my life to answer is, am I sowing those seeds into the lives of those I come in contact with or will in the future. So there's a show called Deer on Apple Plus. And if you have not watched it, I really encourage you to go on, get the free subscription for like a week, and just sit there and binge watch it. That's what I did. 
it is kind of a cry fest, so please have tissues with you as you watch it. So the concept of the show is this, is that you have these celebrities, and like Luis Manuel, you have Oprah, Spike Lee, uh, Misty Copeland, and they, they receive these letters from people that they have never read before, but they had to read them in front of a uh, camera. And all these letters have to do with how that person touched this individual's life, whether it's starting a school, a hospital, or is they encouraged to, to dance no matter what people thought about you or your body. These people, these celebrities even, sowed seeds of love, and it made me think of dispatches that we're going through today. One episode was of Oprah, and that's probably the most impactful for me, which is mostly my childhood was going home and watching Oprah every day. And the episode is when Oprah goes into an all-white county, and she hosts a town hall with this, the leaders of this all-white county that did not allow blacks to move in or own property. She was the only black woman in the room. It was so inspiring that the language of love can move people from fear and hate to acceptance of people that are different from you. This county that she went in, I think it's under two decades, is no longer all white. The point is this, of bringing up this, uh, this program, is to emphasize the fact that sowing seeds can have direct impact. We may never see them, but all of these seeds are internally bound. The passage we're looking at today is James 3, 13 through 4, 10. Many early Bible scholars, all the way to Martin Luther, who Martin Luther started the Protestant Reformation, didn't really like the book of James, and they didn't want it in the Bible, mainly because there's too much of an emphasis on the law of the Jews. James also has this tie of faith and works that was seemingly connected to salvation, so it scared a lot of people away from the hierarchy of the Jewish structure. And finally, Jesus wasn't mentioned in the book of James beyond James identifying who he was. So in defense of this book and why it should be in the Bible and is relevant, first, Jesus was a Jew and followed the law. He didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. These are his words and not mine. This does not mean that we are under the law, but the law has still validity in our lives. Jesus summarized the entire law and prophets into one statement, to love God and to love others. So we use the law of love now. If the command makes it through the funnel of love, it still stands. So for example, you can eat pork. I love bacon. And you, but you still can't kill people. Please don't do that. One breaks the law of love, and bacon doesn't. The second idea of including James is to remember that talk is cheap. If you say you're a Christian, but you do not show it, if your verbiage, if your words sound hateful, then what is that? If you say you love Jesus out one side of your mouth, but are speaking a message of fear and hate, maybe even using Jesus' name to spread that fear and hate, you are not being Christ-like. I'd interpret that your message sounds only like your voice and not the voice of Jesus. James says that faith without deeds is dead and that talk is not as cheap. So it's in our actions that we love people. The last reason in defense of this book is that at the time of James' writing, the leaders of the church were still trying to figure out who Jesus was. 
and how to communicate that to others. Imagine if it was your own brother or sister that died and came back to life. You watched them die, and now they're walking in front of you. And then they floated off into the sunset one evening. I'm sure that you would have a lot of questions about who that was still. The fact of Jesus' minor role in James, to me, actually gives more validity to the book and its early dating. So today, let's listen to the first section of James. I'll read it to you. Are any of you wise and understanding? Show that your actions are good with a humble lifestyle that comes from wisdom. However, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, then stop bragging and live in ways that deny the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. Instead, it is from the earth. It is natural and demonic. Wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and everything that is evil. What are the wisdom from above? First, it is pure and it's peaceful, it's gentle, it's obedient, filled with mercy and good actions, fair and genuine. Those who make peace sow the seeds of justice by their peaceful actions. In this section, James writes about the contrast of jealousy and peace. I think I need to put more words around jealousy. The same word in the original language can be translated as greed, hoarding, envy, lust, and selfish ambition. What James is talking about when he's talking about jealousy is the idea of hoarding. Hoarding is, in scripture, defined as taking more than one's need for the day, trying to store this extra amount to accumulate wealth and to use your wealth to coerce and manipulate others. I'm sure that you all taken in a couple episodes of the show called Hoarders. It was on TV a long time ago, but there's still lots of memes out there still. Whenever I would watch it as a kid, I would just think of the smell. Hoarding stinks. In Exodus 16, the Hebrews gathered manna and quail in the wilderness. James would have thought about this when he wrote this chapter. This is the idea of the Lord's Prayer, that to give us our daily bread. To combat hoarding, you have to know your rate of consumption and to know what it means to live in scarcity versus living in enough, enough versus scarcity. I think that from the time the Hebrews were collecting manna in the wilderness all the way to the 2020 pandemic days that we're living in today, we have struggled with this idea of hoarding and enough is enough. Think of toilet paper. This is the idea of hoarding. Jesus also gives a parable about the same concept in Luke 12, 16 through 31. I want to read it to you this morning. Then he told him a parable. A certain rich man's land produced a bountiful crop. He said to himself, what will I do? I had no place to store my harvest. Then he thought, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That's where I'll store all my grain and goods. I'll say to myself, you have stored up plenty of goods, enough for several years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, fool, tonight you will die. Now who will get the things that you prepared for yourself? This is the way it will be for those who hoard things for themselves and aren't rich towards God. 
Jesus continues and said to his disciples, Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. There is more to life than food and more to the body than clothing. Consider the ravens. They, are neither plant, they never plant nor harvest. They have no silo or barn, yet God feeds them. You are worth so much more than the birds. Who among you, by worrying, can add a single moment to your life? If you can't do such a small thing, why worry about the rest? Notice how the lilies grow. They don't wear themselves out with work. They don't spin cloth. But I say to you that even Solomon in all his splendor wasn't dressed like one of these. If God dresses grass in the field so beautifully, even though it's alive today and tomorrow is thrown into a furnace, how much more will God do for you, if people, uh, of you people of weak faith? Don't chase after what you will eat or what you will drink. Stop worrying. All the nations of the world long for these things. Your Father knows that you need them. Instead, desire the kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. So what's the first point of James chapter 3? Is this. We need to remember that collecting of things or wealth affect others. Not only does my, uh, my collecting affect me in negative ways sometimes, that our my collecting also takes from other people. It makes people hungry. It makes people go without. The more we desire to acquire, the more someone has a desperation of scarcity. I think the shift that needs to take place is that the shift of desire to acquire comes from the feeling of jealousy. This needs to shift the desire to be satisfied with enough contentment and turn to generosity through acts of love. In the past at Resonate, we talked about the hedonic treadmill. This is the concept that no matter how much you have, no matter how much you've acquired, no matter how much gain, there's always one more step that you want to take, and around and around it goes. There will always be one more thing to get. It will be the gift of the fleeting feeling of security. Jealousy fuels this desire to have more. In my life, it looks like this. I always know the next thing I want to buy or to get. I'm jealous for new things. I do not know if it's the thing itself or just the act or the excitement of newness. It makes me feel advanced, secure, and important. That with each purchase or acquisition of knowledge, I feel like I've advanced my life just one more step. And around and around I go. But I have to look at what, what's the cost of that as advancement. Did I hurt or take from others to get there? Did I bankrupt relationships because I wasn't present in the moment? That's a big one for me, actually. I have to consider these things. And was I left with a cheap possession and gave up love, relationship, hope, and a reputation to get it? The other day, I saw a new 2021 Corvette the other day. Now, usually I'm not going towards new cars, but this kind of made your head turn. Nothing speaks desire in our current American culture than a brand new, American-made, fast, cherry red Corvette. Then I looked at the price tag, starting at $65,000. I thought to myself, wow, that's cheap for a sports car like that, it seems. And after thinking about it for a while longer, I thought of the other cars with that starting price. It's much more than that. 
So why do we not have the attraction stigma like that for the Corvette? A battery-powered Tesla is much more and has less desire. What is the drive? So the idea of jealousy. It's so ingrained into our American system that we have symbols directly tied to the American dream. And jealousy gets you a fancy, cheap car, relatively speaking, of course. Second point of this first paragraph is this. James clearly states and communicates that to thrive in peace. When I read this thought, I think of how much is going on in our world today, the strife, the backbiting, the fear, the anger, the hurt. James answers the rhetorical question of what is wisdom from above? The answer is this, and I'll read it from the same section again. First, wisdom from above, it's pure, and then peaceful, gentle, obedient, filled with mercy and good actions, fair and genuine. Those who make peace sow the seeds of justice by their peaceful acts. In order to see peace on earth, in order to gain wisdom that comes from above, that comes from God, we must plant seeds of love, grace, and justice through our peace-filled actions. That's kind of an odd statement, and so I have to ask myself, what are these peace-filled actions that I can do in myself, in my own context? And so I came with this list this morning. It's this. Listen to others who do not hold your perspective and worldview and seek truth and heart in what they're saying. Listen to others and seek truth. The second is this. Elevate the voices who have been silenced. These are the prophets for our time in our community. Elevate the voices for those who have been silenced. Be fair and genuine in all of my actions. Be true to myself. Being true to myself does not mean that I will not learn, grow, or embrace change. Be fair, genuine, and true to myself. Fourth is this. Kindness and gentleness is better than rightness. This is probably the hardest lesson that I have learned in life. I'm still learning daily. Now, you may have an exception to this this illustration, but I have never known anyone to change through a sassy Facebook post or casting shade. Kindness is always greater than rightness. People change because they experience blank, and that can be changed from good to bad or bad to good. The last one is this. Preach the gospel, and when necessary, and this is hardly ever, use words. Preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. So today at 3 p.m. here, and I already announced it once, uh, Beth, Becky, and Sheree are teaching a class on understanding white privilege. If you question this or are struggling through it and how much it impacts our world today, I encourage you to come and be a part of that conversation. It is a socially distanced and safe gathering. It's also a non-threatening place to learn and grow. Eventually, this class will be available in digital format as well, so stay tuned for that. I want to now move on to the next paragraph. Listen to this next section of James 4, 1 through 4, 3. What is the source of conflict among you? What's the source of your disputes? Don't they come from your cravings that are at war within your own lives? You long for something you don't have, so you commit murder. You are jealous for something that you can't get, so you struggle and fight. You don't have because you don't ask. You don't ask because you don't, because you, you, you ask and don't have because you ask with evil intentions 
to waste it on your own cravings. The issues around us, and no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, the racism, rioting, our political system, poverty, homeless, drug abuse, spousal abuse, and I can keep going for a very long time. We are all failing to address these things because we are so consumed with symptoms. These systems are riots, violence, whether or not we shouldn't wear a mask. The core of these are treating others unequally, and it's also a rebellion. I'm sorry, but wearing a mask is not a political statement. A long time ago, Kevin used to give the illustration that sin is I in the center of everything. At Resonate, our doctrine of grace is greater than our doctrine of sin. Sin is when we stop following what God desires and we follow what we want. It truly is that simple. Jealousy is the word that, keep, that James keeps using for his illustration of sin. We no longer want to follow God. We just want to get other people's stuff. In the original language, that is translated to jealousy. James uses the word zealous or jealous, zealous. It is where we get the word zeal or zealot. It's a fire that burns within, deep within. And I hear this all the time, actually, when people come in and order their latte in the morning. I need this latte. It's not. I want this latte. I burn for a lot of things, clothes, cars, bikes, technology, and other items that give me status and security. I remember being so envious over my friends who got their first iPhone when I graduated high school, and I still have my Blackberry and my Rollerball. I wanted to ditch that Rollerball so bad and get a touchscreen. Jealousy is a fire that consumes lives, families, communities, and nations. It's not till the next section of writing that James addresses how to quench that fire, kind of. Jealousy is a desperation that scares me because I see it so many times when your family struggles with jealousy or envy. It's the same word. That you may have to set really hard-line boundaries for yourself in order to break this cycle of jealousy in your life. As a caveat, all people have jealousy within them. This is part of our limbic system, the oldest part of our brain. The fight or flight, the hunt or gather, is part of the limbic system. This system requires a sense of longing in order to survive. As our brains developed, and as we no longer really have to fight so hard to survive, we no longer need this flight or fight mechanism. Hardly any of us are encountering bears daily. And entertaining the system has really done some violent damage to the world. So let's read our last, our last paragraph here. James 4, 4 through 4.10. He writes, You unfaithful people, don't you know that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Or you just suppose that scripture is meaningless? Doesn't God long for our faithfulness in the life he has given us? But he gives us more grace. That is why it says God stands against the proud, but favors the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will run away from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Cry out in sorrow, mourn and weep. Let your laughter become mourning and your joy become sadness. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. I 
I'm not sure who James is talking about in this section. I certainly hope that he's not talking to me because he has some very harsh language, almost like Turner Burns style. It really doesn't even answer the question of how to resist jealousy. Just turn to God. It feels like a kind of a cop-out. But then I think about sowing seeds of love. I feel like it's crucial in my life to come to a place of change, a place of repentance. That's what change means. That I look at my life and think, wow, I, I really screwed up here. I'm a pretty hard-headed person, and this has done some great things for me, but also more bad things. I do not take criticism well. I don't like to be told that I'm wrong. I feel like this all the time, that when James says that God stands in the way of the proud but favors the humble, all the days that I feel like I hit my head against a wall trying to get something done, and it won't happen because I struggle asking for help. God favors the humble. The idea of the devil in this section, lowercase d, is one who stands against the kingdom of God, of God's vision for the world. James is more talking about the force of nature than a person. What's cool about the way that he's writing is that we can all take the place of the devil in this passage. We can all stand against the way of God. It's one who stands in direct opposition of the movement of faith. This is also called sin, like we talked about earlier. I see the only way that I can resist the devil inside of me is to focus and love other people. By acts of love, by the great commandment of love God and love others, we create peace around us. Isaiah 32, 17, it says this, The fruit of the righteousness will be peace, and the outcome of righteousness, calm and security forever. So if we're not advocating for the, to, for the love of God and advocating for the love of self, James tells us that these are acts of the devil. Jealousy is an act of the devil, is an act against the kingdom of God. The acts of Jesus are that of peace. In Galatians 5, it tells us that we are to embrace these things, and these are the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. Did I miss any? I might have, but bear with me. So instead of hate and pushing people down, the seeds of love are to help people rise up. We love so that people can rise out of their ashes. Jesus once said to a group that was super scared, peace be with you. This morning I pray for peace that we I would be peacemakers, not just peacekeepers. Not through hate and hate rhetoric, but making peace through love, joy, and peace. Peace be with you. This is what is healing to our relationships. Peace. Sowing love in the people's lives, advocating for peace, and advocating for justice. There will be no justice without peace, and no peace without justice. Wherever you may be this morning, peace be with you. In the fear of unknowing of what this next season has for you, peace be with you. As you create communities of justice through acts of peace, I pray that peace will be with you. When you go through your week and are threatened or bullied or scared or people try to manipulate you, peace be with you. 
Planting seeds of love in each of our lives drives out hate, fear, and anger. It's at this time that I want you to, to gather up your communion elements, the bread and the juice, and hold it in your hands and think about these things. That Jesus gathered with his disciples. He broke bread and said, this is my body broken for you. He took the cup and said, this is my blood spilled for you. This radical act of love paved the way for all of creation to enter in a loving and sacrificial and a salvation relationship with God. Jesus died so that we may finally be able to see peace in our lives, our families, and our communities. Take and eat. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for the peace that you give us. The love that you pour into our lives. Your act of sacrifice through your son, Jesus. And we remember him here this morning. God, we pray that when we look at our communities, our families, our nation, that we would be ambassadors of peace, of love, and justice. God, instill hope in our hearts. Wherever we're at this morning, if we're feeling despair, if we're feeling aloneness, God, that you would that you'd step in and you'd create peace around us. Be this week. Help us to share the gospel well, the gospel of peace and love and acceptance. Help us to drive out hate. That we would not interact with the devil. That we would not stand against your kingdom, but we would advance it in the lives of those around us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this time. Amen. Thank you all for gathering with us this morning, or whatever or wherever you may be. We love you. We thank you. And God bless.